Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here, and we are finishing up a series in Abraham. Uh, I'll start a new series uh, next Sunday on relationships. Should be really good. Um, one of the things, um, kind of part of my story, is that you know we we grew up, we're in families. We're, we're at church all the time. I mean, probably in a 52 Sunday year, probably 50 Sundays we were there, you know, counting one maybe for illness and one for um, you know being out of town. But the rest of the time we were there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who, who recognizes a lot of patterns, so it didn't take me too many years in the rotation to realize there were about 52 Bible stories. Like, maybe that's all there were in the Bible. It's 52 Bible stories, and they kind of tell them on rotation, right, every year. And, um, you know, you get familiar with them after a while. And then when I got older and I started reading the Bible on my own, I realized that, man, there's, there's some stories they weren't telling, and there are some stories they weren't telling all the way, Right? And so like Noah, for instance, you know, there's, there's the flood and Noah, you know, God saves Noah and his family in the ark and then they get off and there's the covenant with the rainbow and that's real cute and fun. And it's like, hey, look, there's the rainbow and, and, and Noah worships God, the end, rainbow happy, right? But then you read the story and it's like, and then the next day, Noah plants a vineyard and when the vineyard's all grown up, he gets drunk and gets naked and, and passes out in his tent. And his son walks in there and is like, dude, right? That wasn't in the second grade Sunday school curriculum, right? And then, like at the end, near the end of Mark, when Jesus is being arrested, you know, Peter tries to fight back, and Jesus is like, what are you doing? And then this kind of mysterious young man that most people probably believe is Mark, because they're talking about a you know, companion of Peter, and, and so he describes him anonymously, which I understand why if you're going to tell the story about yourself, you do it anonymously, but I'm not sure why you include it, right? It says, he tried to run away, but one of the soldiers grabbed his, his cloak, and so he dislodged himself from his cloak and ran away naked. There's a lot of weird naked stories in the Bible, right? But they're not telling them in Sunday school. And, 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 and then in Jonah, you know, the story was, you know, he was supposed to go and, and tell these group of people to repent and turn from their evil ways, and Jonah didn't want to, so he ran, gets swallowed up by this fish gets spit out, and then he says, okay, I'll, I'll go, and he goes and, and preaches, and those people repent and turn to God, and, and everybody lived happily ever after, except that's not how it ends. Jonah's mad. He's mad that they repented. He's like, God, that's why I didn't want to go. I, I knew you were going to forgive them, and I'd rather you just wipe them out, and they're arguing back and forth, and, and, and God rebukes him, and I remember the first time I read it, it ended, Jonah chapter 4 ended in the bottom, the, like the very bottom right-hand corner, like it completely filled the page. So I turned the page looking for Jonah 5, where Jonah was happy and made up with God, and then it's like, go straight to the next, the next book. And I'm like, trying to turn the page. Like there, there's a page, there's, they're stuck. And it wasn't. It just ended. It just ended with a rebuke. And I'm like, man, I feel like I've been misled. But that's the thing. The older I've gotten, the, the thing that I just appreciate more and more about the scripture is um, these really bad stories are in there. These people, these, these supposedly these great, these great heroes of the faith, their worst moments are captured. You, you go to Sunday school enough times and, and you begin to think that these kind of these heroes of the faith are these kind of unapproachable like legends. Who, who these mythical with these mythical qualities that no one can ever live up to, 
In reality, they're doing stupid things every day just like me. And we've been following Abraham over the last few weeks in his faith journey, and we've seen that in him. He does this great thing where he kind of steps out in this huge thing of faith to kind of leave his homeland, to leave his extended family and go to this place just on the word of God. Hey, I want you to do this, and I'll bless you if you do. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And he's the, the, the father of the Jewish faith. He's ultimately the great, 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 dot, 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 granddad of Jesus. And all the world has been blessed through this man's faithfulness. And he's this legend. But also, as we're learning about him as a legend, we see him just failing and, and, and failing to trust God. We saw it when um, the first sign of, of, of kind of an obstacle, rather than turning and trusting in God, he kind of makes up his own plan and puts his wife in danger. And then as they get impatient with seeing God fulfill the promise, so God said he's going to give you a son, and through this son, you're going to build this great nation. They get impatient, and so he sleeps with his wife's maid in order to have a kid through her, and that was her idea. It was the wife's idea, and it was a terrible idea, and went bad in all the ways. Like, man, I'm not saying I can relate to that story, because I can't. Like, I can relate to stupidity, Right? I'm, I'm sleeping with anybody but my wife, but I'm saying that, that I can relate to just, I, I, I'm impatient with what God's wanting to do, so I do something stupid instead. And then finally, Sarah just kind of abandons hope altogether and laughs practically in the face of God as he tries to reaffirm the promise. Yeah, again, I can relate to that. But we see Abraham in this journey of faith where God is promising this blessing but we also see him failing time and time again as he's trying to deal with the obstacles that come between the promise and the fulfillment. And so I love that because it gives me hope about my own life and about what God's doing in and through me. But there's some other stories, and this is kind of what we're going to wrap up. There's some other stories here in the Bible, and kind of as we're concluding this Abraham story too, that don't necessarily paint a, a dark picture of people, but really what they do is they paint a picture of God that makes him a little bit different than what we think. I think sometimes we've kind of sanitized God a little bit and kind of put him into a very small package where he kind of looks this particular way and he's this really nice guy, he only does sweet things and he's, trying to, he's always just trying to help us and he's nice and cuddly and fun or whatever. Or, or we kind of go the other direction and he's just kind of this, you know, this judgmental guy just doing you know, things. But I, I think sometimes we, we, we put God in this little in this box. And there's some stories in there that I think sometimes we just choose to ignore because we can't put our mind around them that really can help us have a more vivid, clearer picture of the God that we're on this faith journey with. And so one of those stories is here in Genesis chapter 22. And so where we've been so far in the story, again, God has promised he's going to make a great nation out of Abraham and Sarah, but he does. He don't have any kids, and so it was. It was well over twenty years from the time that God promised him that, and when he finally had his son Isaac. So up until this point, as we've been kind of going through it, the the promise hasn't been fulfilled. But now here we are, and 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 Abram and Sarah have had a son Isaac, and now some years have passed, and we'll talk about that in detail in here in just a second about how long has passed. But now Isaac, he, he's he's around. He's he's and. Um, he is the fulfillment of this promise of God. It's through Isaac that God is now going to build this great nation and bless the whole world. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. 
to your father. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now sometimes we're telling these stories, sometimes I, feel like, like I stop and be like, Hey, I want to make sure that we really understand what's going on here. This can be kind of complicated. Da, 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 da. This, what is happening here, is exactly what it says is happening here. Abraham, come, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to test him. I'm going to test him. Abraham, what I want you to do, I want you to go and I want you to set up an altar and I want you to make a sacrifice, but instead of a lamb, I want you to sacrifice your son. Which should, if we're paying attention, should just bring up tons of questions. The biggest one, and maybe the only one, maybe not a lot of questions, just one question really intensely. What? Why? Right? And, and, so, and, and so we'll just, we'll just we'll keep going. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Uh, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. So one of the things about this story, of all, there's lots of you know, these stories that get sanitized and aren't in the rotation. This story's in the rotation, and it's traumatized all three of our kids, right? Cause, cause, because, I mean, it's kind of scary. It's like, and so Abraham's kind of faith that God sometimes asks dads to kill their kids, right? It's, it's kind of how it feels. You know, you're, not, you're trying as you know, Grove Kids teachers to not say it that way, but that's kind of the story, right? And, um, but I want to say this. This isn't, this, this isn't making the, the story necessarily better in some ways, but he's not a little kid. We're, we're doing the flannel graphs and the little pictures of the kids. We're doing, them, we're doing them wrong. He's not a little kid. He's not a little kid because you think he's, he chops all, he says Abraham chops all this wood to build an altar, and he's like an altar big enough to sacrifice someone, and he says he takes all of that wood and makes Isaac carry it. So he's not six. Right? He couldn't carry all that wood. In fact, most people think he's probably a young adult, maybe in his teenage years or maybe uh, just you know his early 20s. So if we're going to terrorize people with this story, we should terrorize our youth group with it, right? Terrorize <laughs> Roots with it, right? Terrorize them. Um, and, and so just, I think it just helps us to understand. And also, it's really interesting. There's some, some details of the story that we can miss that really kind of help us understand really what was going through Abraham's mind. Notice what he says to his servant. He says to his servants, hey, um, Isaac and I are going to go up here to the mountain. We're going to worship, and we are going to come back. Whatever he thought was going to happen, he believed that he and um, Isaac were both coming back. All right? All right. So, verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Solid question. <laughs> Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You can read that a couple of ways. You can read it as him kind of just kind of trying to distract and lie. Or, or you can, again, you can see the, the, the belief and trust that Abraham has here. We're going up here. I'm coming up here with the intent that you're going to be the sacrifice. But here's the thing that I believe, that God is going to provide a lamb. 
verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Again, I know I keep doing this. I just want to make sure that we're catching all the nuances of the story. Um, let's say that, that um, Isaac's 18. That makes Abraham 118. Now, I don't care how farm strong, you know, Abraham is, right? There's no way 118-year-old Abraham is going to be able to tie up Isaac if Isaac doesn't want to be tied up. So again, I, I think we see get this glimpse of, of the faith and trust that Isaac has both in his son and in God too. I'm not exactly sure how this is going to end, uh, oh, but okay. I mean, Abraham's like, well, I've got to tie you up now. I mean, the only thing I can imagine is Isaac goes, okay, okay Dad, if this, if this is what we're doing. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns, just like Abraham said would happen. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So again, I mean, there, there, there's plenty of reason to kind of, kind of question this. I mean, this starts at the very beginning. I mean, God says that God tested Abraham. Like, like why? Why does it have to be like that? Why, why, why test? I mean, he's already, I feel like he's already passed the test. He left his home and he left his extended family and came this way. Why, why, why test him again? And if you're going to test him, why, why do this? But I, I, think, I think there, there are some, some glimpses there. I mean, where you know, Abraham, over the course of years, has kind of not trusted in God anymore. He made that first step, but then has kind of, kind of lost his way a little bit. And it's like, he's, God reaching out to him. is like, do, do you really trust me? And I believe the overwhelming response to that is what Abraham is saying. Yes, I absolutely do. And Hebrews eleven nineteen describes it this way. It's describing Abraham in this moment. It says, that, that in that moment that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. Because Abraham in that moment completely trusted God. He said, God said he was going to bless me through grandkids and great-grandkids for generations and generations through this son Isaac. And if he says that I'm supposed to sacrifice him, either it's not actually going to happen, or if it does happen, God will bring him back. And so he puts his faith, he trusts completely in the promise of God. And I think that we need to make sure that I would I'd be doing you a huge disservice if I did not point out to you the clear and obvious foreshadowing here. Foreshadowing, like you're reading a story in a movie and something happens early on that helps you predict what's going to happen later, right? Uh, what, what's happening here is um, this is exactly what God does later. I mean, this emphasis that God puts, because you have 
not held back your son, your one and only son. If you got a John 3.16 vibe going on here. Because of that, because you have not held him back, I'm going to incredibly bless you. This is exactly what God is going to do for us through his son Jesus several thousand years later, where he is going to give up his son in order that we might have life. And so we just have this glimpse of, of what is about to happen here and what he's doing here through Abraham. But to really to kind of understand what's going on here in the story, I think it's important for us not only to see what's going on with Abraham, but to see that there's a pattern here that I believe that, that God has for all of us. And none of you are ever going to be in a situation where God is going to tell you to sacrifice one of your children in the way that we're talking here. But there is a pattern here of the way that God is dealing with Abraham that we see actually all throughout the Scripture, that, that, that God is wanting to do something similar in your life as you're in your faith journey. As you're in your faith journey, this very same pattern of sacrifice and what God is wanting to do, He's wanting to do that for you. And so to make sure we completely and totally understand the pattern and how it applies to us, we're going to start back at the beginning to make sure we understand kind of where we started on this journey. And it starts here in Genesis chapter 12 where we talked about this initial promise. Hey, leave your, leave your home, leave your family, and I'm going to bless you. And what I want to make sure that we all understand is that what God is offering you, is God is offering you life. This is what God does. God offers you life. And that's what he offered to Abraham. He offered Abraham life. You're living ordinary life here with your family, but what I'm offering you is a capital L, bigger, greater life than what you have. What he's offering is this blessing. You can just live this normal migrant farmer kind of life, or you can follow me over here, and I'm going to do this big, incredible thing where I'm going to bless you and your descendants forever. And ultimately, the entire world is going to be blessed through you. And so God is offering him this life. In the same way, God is offering you life. He's offering you forgiveness. He is offering you a soul connection and relationship with God. He is offering you His Spirit where God Himself can come live inside you and guide you and show you and lead you in all the places that you need to go. He is offering you something greater and better than the ordinary life that too many of us are settling for. And some of us get a little bit stuck here, and I want to make sure that we can talk about this. Maybe we can get a little bit unstuck. Where, where some of us don't believe, really, that God is on our team that God really loves me and God really cares for me and that he's really offering me life. And that somehow, God, well, God wants me to be religious. He wants me to come to church. He wants me to, to do stuff, I guess. But really the thing that he's offering me, man, it's kind of a, a nicer version of judgment or I don't know. But do you really believe that the offer that God has put in front of you is to have a life and to live life at a level that you never have. Jesus put it this way. He says that the thief, talking about the Satan, the thief comes to, to kill, steal, kill, destroy, but I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly, full and overwhelming abundant life is what he's talking about. Do you believe that that is what God, that, that's the offer that is on the table from God? That's what he's offering you. But here's the deal. God offers you life. But he then, he asks for your life. So yeah, he wants to give you life, but what he wants from you is he wants your entire life back. 
which is a real interesting thing. It's like he's got this great thing. Hey, I'm going to give you this life, and all you have to do is give me your life back. And I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. The offer of eternal life and forgiveness that, that, that God offers is completely free. You don't earn it by being good on the front end, and you don't earn it on the back end by doing good things afterwards. This is a free gift that comes from God. But we need to make sure that we're clear here When we accept this gift, what we're saying is, I want to stop sinning. I'm sorry for this. I want to follow you, God. And we say this, I want to follow God. We're going to be a Christ follower. When you say this, let me make sure we need to understand both of those words. First, follow, right? There's a leader, and you're not it. And the leader says this, I'm going to do what the leader says. And then understand this kind of simple definition of God. Almighty creator, authority of the entire universe. When I say that I want to be a Christ follower, that's what I'm saying. And so ultimately, I'm saying what I want to do and want to be is I want to give my life and live a life dedicated to God. Jesus describes it this way. In Matthew 16, 25, he's talking to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so what he's saying here is like, you can be in this situation like, well, I, I want God's help. I, 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 want, I, I want him to ma- kind of make some things better. I want him to kind of forgive me for the things that I've done, and I want him to kind of help me be a better dad and help me be better at work. I want him to do all these things. But I've still got my life. I'm holding on to it. And what Jesus is saying is like, if you're holding on, if you're holding on to your life and your plan and your ideas, everything that you're holding on to, you're going to lose. But if you'll lose it, and give it to him, you'll find it. Too many of us view God like he's a self-help book. right? I come here to get advice to kind of improve. I need God's help to improve my life. Or that God is a genie where um, you, know, you, you discovered the trick and now he has to grant you wishes. But that, that's not what he's offering. He's the God of the universe. And what he's saying is, hey, okay, I will gladly give you life, but, but, but I need your life. Paul in Galatians 2, he describes it this way. He's like, I've been crucified with Christ. I died there with him, and I'm no longer alive, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I'm living, I live by faith in Jesus who gave himself for me. And so what God is saying is like, hey, you, you, I want to give you life, but what you're going to have to do, the only way this is going to work is if you make a decision to say, to give to me this thing right now that you're calling your life. Your plans, your dreams, your ideas, those are mine. And so with Abraham, he's like, okay, even the, even the blessing that he had just given him. First he tells him, he's like, okay, I want you to follow me, but you're going to have to leave everything that you call life, and you're going to have to go over here. And then even when he blesses him, hey, he gave him this, a promised gift. And, and, and God says to Abraham, I'm going to need that too. That also belongs to me. And Abraham's like, well, okay. I, I trust you. And as I was getting ready uh, for this message, I was just thinking about, man, who, 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 what people do I know that are like that? 
the people who had this idea, maybe they had their own dreams, they had their own plans about who they were going to be and what they were going to do, and then God says, no, no, give that to me. Give me your life. And I was thinking about the, the awesome missionaries that we have that have come from our church that have gone all over the world. And we have a lot of them. People have gone all over the world to do incredible things for God who had one plan and one idea for their life, and God says, no, no, give me that. And he puts them on a different path. And so what we're going to uh, do here, we're going to just briefly get introduced to some awesome people from our church. Well, first we'll see the McCalls, um, then we'll see Jessica Joyce, and then, then, the, and then the Anaka. So let's watch this video and, and meet them real quick. So these awesome people, I mean, they, God offers them life. And God's like, this is great. This is great. And, 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 and I, I'm going to need your life back. So just like with Abraham, it's like, man, uh, um, I, I, want, I want your son back. Like, well, okay. 
So they offer him their life, and then they go and they do this incredible thing. And then God's response to Abraham was, I can't believe that you did that. That was so amazing. And the fact that you did this, and that you were willing to give me your one and only son, I am now going to overwhelmingly bless you. And that's the thing that he does for these awesome people here from the grove. He's like, because you're willing to give me your life and, and, and take your life in this completely different direction, I'm going to give you back so much more. And it works like this, that God offers you life, he asks for your life, and then what he does is he gives you back an even greater life. And we have these awesome missionaries, and we've got some opportunities to kind of connect with them, and they'll be out there, uh, there'll be some information out there in the lobby where we can just kind of love and support these people. I, I, I know all of them. You may, have, may know some. You may have you didn't know any of those people. I'm telling you, they're living life a different way. They're living life on a different plane. They've got something that I think is really important for us. Their life is so much harder than ours. This is the, the ordinary ins and outs of just trying to do life and shop and live and survive. It's so much harder but they have this incredible connection where they have laid their life down for God and what God has given them is so much greater and bigger than that. And so while you may be hung up and scared a little bit about what it would mean for me to say, I'm going to give God my life, my hopes, my plans, my dreams, you can trust Him because when you do that, what He gives back to you is greater. With Abraham, He says, listen, because you've done this, I'm going to multiply the blessing. He talks about it in these big, extreme terms. Like It's going to be intense. I'm magnifying the blessing in your life because you would not hold anything back from me. And I'm telling you, if you won't hold anything back, but you'll give all of it to him, what you get back in return is greater. It was going to, it's going to be different. It's not your plan. It's not your dream. It's something greater that he will give back. I remember this moment for me. I was in college, and I was a, um, I was a math computer science major in college and with a, with a plan to, you know, just to, to go into that field. And 24 years later, I've used my math degree in significant ways to help my kids get through high school and college math. That's, that's it. That's the list. That's the whole list. And I remember it was the summer after my sophomore year in college, and I had this plan, and I, was, and I remember it wasn't an audible voice, but it was, it was God speaking to me. And I was thinking about my plan, what I was wanting to do, and God just said this very simple and profound thing. He says, do, do, I, do I get a say in that? And I'm telling you, it terrified me. Because I knew what was on the other end of that. If I say yes then I'm essentially I'm opening myself up to anything. Because once God speaks into it, His way is the right way. But if I live a life that pretends like He doesn't want to speak into it, then I can just do whatever. So the question for you is, is does God get a say in where your life is going? And the challenge sometimes with messages like this is that, you know, we show videos of missionaries and they have their story and pastor gets up and says, hey, you know, I opened up what God wanted me to do for my life, and now I've been a pastor for 20 plus years. And you can begin to feel like that this, you know, that this is just 
something that only happens to pastors or missionaries. Or if you say yes to God, God's going to make you a pastor or a missionary. And that's not necessarily the case. It might be for some of you. That's not necessarily the case. Well, I, I take it back. It 100% is the case. He will make you a pastor or a missionary. It's just a question of degree and location. You need to be the pastor in your home. You are the missionary to where you go to school. You are the missionary where you go to work. You are a missionary and a pastor in your neighborhood. And God is wanting to take your life and use it and do incredible things through the world. When God magnified the blessing for Abraham because of the sacrifice he was willing to make, he couched it in terms of the number and types of people he was going to be able to bless. Because you have done this, I am going to use you to bless even more people. And so I can't say to where God would send you or if God would send you anywhere, but I know this is that God is wanting your life back, your plans, your dreams. He wants to take them and what he wants to give you back is a greater plan, a greater dream that God is going to then use you to be a world changer to make a difference. And I don't know how many of you follow the news, but it has been very clear from the headlines this week that we live in a very evil world that is broken and distraught. And what this world needs is more and more people to say yes to the plans and dreams that God has to bring hope to a world that is broken. And so I don't know where you're hung up. Maybe you don't believe that God really has a great plan for you, but he does. Maybe you're scared, just like I was, to be able to open yourself up to what it would mean. I'm like, I want to hold on to this. But Jesus said, if you hold on to it, you're going to lose it. But if you give it, you'll get it back. And Abraham did the craziest, one of the craziest, riskiest things ever. But he trusted that what God would do would be even greater, and it was. And God is asking you to take that same risk, to say, God, whatever you want from my life, it's yours. And what he will give back to you is a greater life than you can imagine. So wherever you're hung up, pray that God will get you unstuck and will give you back greater life. And as always, we have ways to respond through worship, our prayer team, prayer candles, communion. We have an opportunity to give. But let's ask God to come in, change us, help us be willing to give him everything so that he can give us everything back in return. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the awesome people here. I thank you for the people here who don't even really know you, who are still at the beginning of that faith journey trying to decide if the offer of life that you've given is real. And God, I pray that we would believe that. And I, God, I pray for all of us who are stuck a little bit, just stuck, holding on to this one part of our life, holding on to this dream, to this plan, scared to give it back, scared to give it to you. And God, I pray that we would have the courage and the faith to lay it all before you, to give all of it to you, knowing that you are a good God who will give us back something very different, but much, much greater.
We love you, God. And we're thankful for your son and his death on the cross that makes all this possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.